Right, good morning everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Everett and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on such a great salvation and our mini series here within this uh, series on salvation on healing. And so I forget what week we are in. I think we're week 19 overall. I think we are week uh, 7 or 8 with our healing mini series within the series. Uh, just so you know, you can get all of our teachings on our archive on our website at lighthousediscipleship.org as well as our YouTube channel at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. We can want to say thank you to all of those who have partnered with us for their tithes and their offerings. In case you're wondering how to do so, you can simply go to our website at lighthousediscipleship.org. Go to the top right corner where it says give. It's highlighted blue and you can give them anywhere around the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply make your checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And at the bottom of the foot of every page on our website is our mailing address, and you can send it that way. If you're in the United States, we uh, we are a 503 church, and so all of your tax, um, all the contributions and donations and tithes are 100% tax deductible, as we are a 503 church. So, uh, without further ado, we're going to jump right into the message. I have a lot to cover uh, again this week, and I know this is a long series, but, but there's a lot there's a lot to talk about salvation and uh, and within this series of salvation as I've been saying over the last several weeks and I'll repeat it again this morning is that uh, I have a, a couple mini series and we're only on our second mini series of three mini series within the series and we're probably in the longest one right now more likely uh, we'll, we'll talk about healing so about 19 weeks ago uh, so that's several months ago we started talking about what salvation is it's a gift it's not something you can earn. You can't earn your way to hell. Well, you can't earn your way to heaven. Uh, so, sorry, I said that wrong. But um, um, you can't, you can't, you can't earn your. You can't earn it. It's as a gift. It's not based on your righteousness. It's based on His righteousness. It's about it's faith in His grace. It's not grace alone, and it's not faith alone. It's faith. It's grace through faith. And salvation, uh, salvation by definition, both the Hebrew. Uh, uh, Yeshua in, in the Greek soteria it, the, by definition the word means wholeness, healing, prosperity deliverance uh, and more and so that's why we are having many series on uh, wholeness and healing and prosperity because by definition that's what the word means Okay, we spent one week talking about the purpose of salvation Salvation, the purpose of salvation, of salvation is not going to heaven and avoiding hell so those are great, great benefits of salvation, and they're worth, they're worth teaching and they're worth talking about. And yes, they are worth salvation in and of themselves. Nobody wants to go to hell. Everybody wants to go to heaven, <coughs> and heaven and hell are real, but they're not the purpose of salvation. God, Christ didn't die for you just so you can go to heaven and avoid hell. No, those are some of the benefits, and so that's from that perspective, yes, that is a purpose, but. The purpose, the main purpose for salvation is not going to heaven and avoiding hell. The main purpose is a relationship with God. Even if there was never a heaven and, a, and never a hell, there are, but if there was not, Jesus still would have died on the cross so that you can have a relationship with God. Without the, without the cross, without what Jesus accomplished, we could not have a relationship with God. And eternal life is not going to heaven. Eternal life is knowing God. John 17, verse 3. Okay, and so that's that's the essence of eternal life is a relationship with God. 
the benefits of God is that we get to be with God face to face for eternity in heaven. The best thing about heaven is not the streets of gold. It's not living forever. The best thing about heaven, God is there. And the worst thing about heaven is not the hell, fire, and brimstone. It's not the torment. It's not, it's, it's, it's not the outer darkness. It's that God is not there. That is the worst part about hell, and that is the best part about heaven. We spent a couple of weeks talking about the necessity of salvation, which was a segue to talking about the benefits of salvation. And since then, we've spent several weeks talking about the, uh, the benefits of salvation, how we relates to wholeness, and now we are in our seventh or eighth week talking about the benefits of salvation and how it relates to healing. And then when we're done with this mini-series, we'll, we'll spend a little bit more time on prosperity and how the benefits of salvation, how it relates to prosperity. And with that, I'm going to be knocking over some sacred cows and also be uh, bringing some clarity to what some people are opposed to. Some people have opted out of being prosperous. They think, they think we're, we're blessed to be poor. And that, that's an oxymoron, first of all. But at the same point in time, no, Jesus died in the cross so we can be blessed to be a blessing. And we'll, we'll talk about more of that later. And, 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 and being blessed and being prosperous, um, finances is only one aspect of prosperity. It's not excluded. But it also, but it is included, and so um, it's part of it. It's not all of it. Okay, so there's much more to prosperity than just finances. But uh, uh, it's not the only thing we're going to talk about with prosperity, and we'll talk more about that later. So again, we'll talk about the benefits of salvation, and right now we are still in our seventh or eighth week talking about healing. So healing is a subject matter as we're talking about this great salvation that we have in Christ Jesus. And so we, we, last week I introduced towards the end different ways to receive healing. I've talked about a lot of different things over the last couple weeks. My last little part was talking about hindrances to receive healing. Now I'm going to talk about how do we receive healing. What are some ways, some methods of how do we receive healing. And I also mentioned last week through Andrew Walmack Ministries, you can go to this web page and you can see many healing, healing journey testimonies. They're all video form. Most of them are pretty lengthy uh, because it's showing you the whole journey and the testimony of what God did as far as their healing journey. And this is worth watching every single video that's on the, the, the web address that I have uh, on the screen. So we're, again, we're talking this week uh, about the ways to receive healing. And I said this last week, and I'm going to redo some of my intros in this segment of my teaching is that there's no wrong way to be healed. If you want to be healed through the doctor and medicine and herbs and spices and different things, there's nothing wrong with that. I am not against doctors in and of themselves. I'm not against medicine in and of itself. I'm not against herbs and other, other means. The Indians use that. Other, you know, God created those things. I'm not going to worship the creation. I'm going to worship the creator. I'm not going to worship the healing. I'm going to worship the healer. Okay, and so there's not a wrong way to get healed. But I mean, you know, many doctors, and this is all with respect to doctors in medicine, they're practicing medicine. They're practicing, okay? And, uh, you know, you can let them practice on you, um, you know, and not, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, and I'm not, I'm not, I don't mean, I'm not trying try to say that in a derogatory way and to putting them down, but I'm just saying there, there is a better way. God. Uh, it has provided salvation through Jesus Christ. And God has provided healing through Jesus Christ. 
Okay, and all methods I'm going to be talking about this morning, to receive healing, have a measure of faith involved. Because faith has to be involved to receive, to receive from the grace of God. It's grace through faith that you're saved. And the word saved, by definition, sozo, means, includes healing. Just by definition, in both the Hebrew and the Greek, the word means healing. It, it, means, it, it includes the forgiveness of sins, but really when you understand the forgiveness of sins, that we are redeemed from the curse of the law, as we've been teaching over the last several weeks. We're now in our 19th week. We've been talking about this in a long time. But if you understand that we are redeemed from the curse of the law, Galatians 3.13, that means we are redeemed from sickness. Because sickness is part of the curse of the law. Sickness is part of the curse of the fall. I mean, Christ has redeemed us from that through his blood, and by his stripes we were healed. And so faith has to be involved to measure to receive the grace of God. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm going to be going over six different methods. And I'm not saying they're the only methods, but they're the six that we're going to highlight. And the six I can find in Scripture to highlight, because if I can't find in Scripture, I'm not going to teach it, because I can't put faith uh, in someone's experience. I can't put faith in a doctor or medicine. I'm not saying they're wrong, I just, but I can put faith in the Word of God. And so I'm going to use the Scripture. I'm a pastor. <laughs> I'm a teacher. I teach the Word. And that's what I'm going to teach. I'm not going to teach science. I'm not going to teach medicine. I'm not against science. God created science. I'm not going to create and teach against herbs and other things. No, God created it. God created even, God gave the grace, I believe, the doctors to have the wisdom how to practice medicine and, 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 and whatnot. And so I'm not against that. I'm, I, there's many Christian doctors and whatnot, or even even not some non-Christian doctors who I believe God has given them the grace and the, the ability to uh, save lives and touch lives, medically speaking. And I'm I'm all for that, okay. But I'm teaching the gospel. I'm teaching the the Bible, and that's where my focus is on. Faith has to be in Christ, and. Even if it's through a doctor, I'm praying that through Christ, I believe that through Christ, God can guide the, 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 the physician's hand and the wisdom. He can give the wisdom beyond his years of training and expertise and wisdom. There are different ways to be. Sorry, my clicker's not working. Oh, neither is this one. Just one second. There are different ways to receive healing. Because we are all in different places in our walk of faith. We are in a walk of faith. And we are all maturing on a different level. Faith works the same for everybody. It's called the law of faith. And that's another teaching that I've spent a lot of time in the past talking about. But we are all different levels in our walk of faith, in our growth. You know, and I, I see this as the goodness of God. Not only did God will for us to be healed, but I believe God provided different methods in, that we can all uh, respond to based on our level of walking in this faith and exercising faith in our lives. All of us are at different levels in understanding of God, understanding of Scripture, understanding of healing, understanding of me, for that matter. Okay? But most of us have changed. we matured. We have tra been transformed in our walk with God. I'm not the same I was 20, 30, 40 years ago in my walk with God. I've matured. I hope we have all matured in our walk. Some have not matured as much, okay? 
I'm not putting people down by saying that. Some people get offended by that. But I'm, it's just a matter of fact, okay? Um, most of us are growing in our knowing. I'm still growing in my knowing. I don't know it all. And I'm not walking in it at all because I'm not walking in it perfectly, okay? And when, you know, we see, when we receive it from God, some things are just easier to understand for me, for, for others. Some concepts are easier for some people to, to, to understand and get a hold of it and, and connect with it than other, other topics and whatnot. Okay? Some people just, it's just easier for them. It doesn't mean it's not available to all to understand, it's just some things are just easier to understand. Okay? Some methods are more comfortable for people than others. Okay? And so, there's not a wrong or right way to get healed. And just going to use, but Scripture does mention many different methods. All of them are going to point to Jesus. All of them are going to point you to faith in God. Okay? But, but we, there are different things, different methods of how the means, the ways of how that healing is manifested in our lives. Okay? And how it's received. See, some of us were uncomfortable the first time you went to church. For whatever the reason are, maybe you were had a bad experience in church, or, or whatever it might be. But the first time you went to church again, or whatever the case might be, you had a bad experience. You, you, you weren't comfortable. You were on pins and needles. You were you had butterflies in your stomach. I mean, you were sweating bullets. You were you know had cold feet. Whatever. That's not the story for everybody. That wasn't the story for me. But some people, it was just difficult for whatever the reason might be. Some of us were uncomfortable the first time we lifted our hands in worship. We thought all eyes were on you. And they weren't even on you. They weren't paying attention to you. Some might have been, but, you know, uh, but we, we, we were uncomfortable with that. Some were uncomfortable the first time we spoke in tongues. Some of you are still uncomfortable about that. And you haven't done it or, have, or don't want to do. Okay? And sometimes, as I was uncomfortable, first time we taught a Bible study or even spoke up in a Bible study or shared our testimony or whatever the case may be. <coughs> we all have had immaturities. That we have had to walk through. These are not the only ones that I'm just trying to give some examples. But when receiving from God, not only are some things easier to understand for others, not only are some methods more comfortable for others, but all methods testify God's will to heal. And all methods point to God, putting uh, faith in God. And all methods are extension of God's compassion for his people. God wants to meet us wherever we are at. Okay? Religion has painted a picture that God's way over there. He, he, he's disconnected with us, you know. And we know that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. Okay? And we, religion has painted a picture that we have to become like this, we have to become like that, we have to look like this, we have to look like that to receive from God. And that's a bunch of ball honking. You know, that's not truth. And we, we have to quit. Religion says that we have to quit this or that to become closer to God. No, the good news is, of pure Christianity is, God has come to us in the person of Jesus. God meets you right where you are at. God meets you the way that you are. And then by faith in His grace, He makes you who you ought to be in Him. He changes you. You don't change yourself. I'm not saying it's okay in some of the ways that we think and live and in our lifestyles. But you don't change you. God changes you. God meets you where you are. God meets you in who you are. And he comes into your life. And he, by, by faith and his grace, he changes you. 
Okay? Jesus wants to touch your life. Je no matter where you're at, he wants to change your life, transform your life, no matter where you're at. And we are all in different stages of that maturity, of that growth. Okay? In our walk with God, in our maturity in him. So let's go into the six methods. Let me uh, mention them real quick, and then we're going to start going through uh, one by one. The six methods of receiving your healing. Again, this is not an exhaustive list, but these are, these are the six methods that we are going to be covering in this study. The first one is, <coughs> excuse me, the laying on of hands, A. The second one is B, uh, anointing with oil. The third one is a prayer of agreement. The fourth one is the gifts of the Spirit. The fifth one is faith in God's Word in the name of Jesus. And the last one, the signs and wonders, the mysteries of God's sovereignty. And I mean that in a good way, and we'll get to that just a little bit later. Okay, so these are the six methods, excuse me, that we're going to be covering in this study regarding the methods, ways that we can receive healing. Yeah, people still ask, is it God's will to heal? And we've been covering that question throughout the study. And, you know, let me just say this. Healing is who God is. God is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals. Healing is who God is. When God shows up, sickness bows. When God shows up, demons flee. When God shows up, peace comes and torment flees. Healing is who God is. So, of course, I believe in healing because I believe in God. Okay? I want to see the goodness of God manifested in my life and in your life. Okay? 3 John 1 4, we started with this several weeks ago, but I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I want you to receive your healing. I want you to receive the goodness of God in every area of your life. And so as we, let's keep that in mind as we go through these six methods. So the first one, laying on the hands, I'll probably spend more time with this one than the other six, because there's a lot of scripture on this, okay? And so, of the laying on the hands. So let's start with Mark chapter 6. And so Jesus is going to his own, his own country. And it says, and then he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. So his disciples were with him, he went by himself. And when, <coughs> excuse me, and when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is this is given to him that such a mighty works are performed by his hands? We're talking about the laying out of the hands, so that's why I highlighted that. Verse 3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. Why? Because they knew him. They, they, they knew him as Jesus the carpenter, not Jesus the Messiah. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and his own house. Now he, Jesus, could not do many mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Verse 6, And he marveled, because this is the third time we see him marveling in the New Testament because of their unbelief. And then he went about with the villages in a circuit teaching. Now, first of all, let me just mention, let me deal with the last part first. 
Unbelief hinders the power of God. Teaching the word of God will cure unbelief. He couldn't do many wise works there because of their unbelief. But he taught them. Did they receive it? Well, not so much. But he still taught them. Okay, in the word of God. But notice this, too. He could not do many mighty works there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Jesus still laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, even though he couldn't do many mighty works there. In other words, when nothing... Oops. <coughs> Excuse me. When nothing else worked, the laying out of hands still worked on a few, not everybody. In other words, even in the crowd of unbelief, you can still find a few with a measure of faith to receive the prayer of faith. Maybe you're in a church or a community or a family that doesn't have faith in healing. There might still be a few in that group that still has a measure of faith to receive the prayer of faith. Okay. Jesus couldn't do many mighty works. There were some other towns he couldn't do that as well. But he could do a few who would receive. Okay. And he laid his hands. Now, in Luke chapter 13, we have, uh, this is, um, oh, this is the woman who was bowed over. I think it was for 13, 18 years, something like that. And he laid his hands on her. We're talking about laying her on the hands. And immediately she was straight and glorified God. What I'm going to be doing right now is going through many different scriptures, giving many examples of Jesus and others healing people with the laying on of hands. In Mark chapter 5, we have Jairus' daughter. But Jairus himself begged him, Jesus, earnestly. He said, my little daughter lies at the point of death. Come lay your hand on her that she may be healed, and she will live. And while all that was going on, and he was ready to go to lay his hand on Jairus' daughter, a woman with the issue of blood, in verse 30, uh, touched, he says, <coughs> excuse me, touched the hem of his garment, and Jesus immediately, knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And when you read Matthew's version of this, but she said to herself, if I may only touch his garment, I shall be made well. If you fast forward to Matthew chapter 14, verse 36, there was multiple people who begged him that they may touch the hem of his garment. Now, I don't know if they heard what happened with the lady with the issue of blood or whatnot, or was just their own faith, but they wanted to do the same thing she did, touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched it were made perfectly well. The point I'm trying to get here, and I'm going to be going through more examples in a minute, there's something to touching Jesus. Are you with me? There's something to touching Jesus, or Jesus touching us, or touching them. Folks, we are the body of Christ. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on this in just a few, in a few more minutes in our study, even with some of these other methods. We're the body of Christ. And this is this concept of laying on the hands is not magical or mystical in any ungodly way. But when people of faith lay hands on people in faith, there's a faith connection with God. 
in which he will, his will can be done. It's about obeying God. It's about putting faith in God. He told us to go lay hands on the sick and they will recover. And I'm getting a little ahead of myself. In Mark chapter 8, we have the blind man at Bethesda. And then he came to Bethesda and they brought a blind man to him. I want to pause just for a moment. You're going to know several scriptures in this teaching where people brought people to Jesus to be healed. That is a good thing. I'm going to spend some more time on that in just a minute. You know, what, what do you do when someone's sick? Bring them to Jesus. Okay? What do you do when there's a problem? Bring it to Jesus. Okay? And when they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him, they wanted Jesus to touch him. Okay? And so he took the blind man by the hand, led him out of the town, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he, Jesus, put his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. Then he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. I want to come back to this again part. But before I do that, I want to, I want to uh, make mention at the end here. Why did he tell? Tell this man after he got healed, don't go back into town or tell anyone in the town. Why did he say that? I believe it's because if you get around unbelievers, they will rob you what God is doing in your life. Unbelievers will actually talk you out of the goodness of God. Unbelievers can talk you out of the will of God, and they can talk you out of your healing. I have seen many people through the years, Catherine Coleman can, can, would attest to this, and other people too as well, many people have lost their healing. Because unbelievers talked them out of it. After they got healed, they went back to their own sickness because unbelievers talked them out of it. Okay? I believe that's one of the reasons. But let's go back to, and then he put his hands on him again. Jesus had to pray for this man two times. Jesus prayed twice for the blind man. But how many of you would agree with me that Jesus operated in perfection? His faith was always in perfection every single time. Jesus did not waver in his faith. Jesus did not struggle with unbelief. We all struggle in our faith. We all struggle with unbelief. None of us are operating the measure that Jesus operated perfectly everywhere and every time. Yet Jesus prayed twice for the blind man. Many, the reason I'm dealing with this is because many have been taught if you pray for someone twice, you are praying in unbelief. People have taught that. If you pray for, if you have to pray twice for something, you are praying in unbelief. I'm not comfortable with saying that Jesus was in unbelief, prayed in unbelief. I'm just not comfortable with that. I believe Jesus prayed in faith the first time, and I believe that Jesus prayed in faith the second time. But not all healings are instant and complete after you pray the first time. Nonetheless, like Jesus, I am not going to settle for a partial healing. Jesus was not going to settle for the man seeing men walking around like trees. Okay? I mean, I don't know what's worse. Being blind or seeing everyone like a tree. You know? He was, Jesus was not going to be satisfied with a partial healing. And we don't have to be satisfied. We keep praying until we see results. Jesus did. And Jesus prayed perfect prayers. Many healings, though, on the same, on the same treadmill... Many healings are also progressive. Not every healing is instant. For example, in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to 19, 
We have the story of Jesus praying for the ten lepers. And they were healed as they went. It says in verse 14. And so he saw them. He said to them, go show yourself to the priest. And so it was. As they went, they were cleansed. That's still, it's not quite immediately. We don't know how long that journey was. But as they went, they were healed. Never be discouraged when you are trusting and believing God for any day in your life. And right now we're talking about healing. You may not always see your answer instantly, but keep standing and believing that you have received and you shall have what you ask God for. Okay? Mark 7. Again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon. He came through the midst of the region of Decapolis, through the Sea of Galilee, and then they brought they brought to him, that's another occasion where someone's bringing someone to Jesus, one who was deaf and had impediment in his speech. I don't know if I pronounced that right. And they begged him to put his hand on him. So we have basically a deaf and mute, mute man, okay? And they begged Jesus to put his hands on him. Verse 7. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, that's touching him, and spat on and touched his tongue. Okay? Gross. But anyway, he touched him. And then looking up, up to heaven, he, he, he sighed and said, sighed and said, I think I'm, I'm misspelling something here. But anyway, ephatha, that is, be open. I don't think I pronounced that right, okay? But it means be open. He laid his hands on the deaf man, put his fingers in his ears, put his hand on his tongue, and he said, be open. Okay? In verse 35, immediately his ears were open, and the impediment of his tongue was loose, and he spoke plainly. Again, we're talking about the laying on of hands in this segment of our teaching this morning. Jesus laid their hands on every single one of these that we talked about, including this deaf and mute man. And this is one of the ways of how God channels his anointing of healing in people's lives. It's not the only way. But this is one of the ways how God channels his, his anointing to people. In Luke 4.40, when the sun was setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he healed, laid his hands on every one of them. And heal them. I want to deal with the last part, but let me, this, this reoccurring theme that also keeps coming up, we need to bring people to Jesus. Okay? Jesus is always the answer, no matter what we are going through. And when we bring people to Jesus, he will lay his hands on every single one of them. And we're like, well, Jesus is not here physically. Well, we are the body of Christ. We are the hands and we are the feet. And we are the mouthpiece of Jesus. Okay? Laying hands on the sick is something Jesus taught us to do. Jesus did it. He modeled it for us. He did it. He laid his hands on everyone who asked. And then he taught us to do it. In Mark chapter 16, it says that he said to them, Go to all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. That means everyone. And who? He who believes and is baptized will be saved, and he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow those who believe. Let me pause there for a moment. 
I've never seen these signs follow unbelievers. I've never seen these signs follow a church of unbelievers. These signs will follow those who believe. It doesn't say it, it, doesn't say it will just follow the apostles. They died with the apostles. It will follow all those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. When we lay hands on the sick, we should expect God's love and His mercy to manifest in their lives and in their body. Let's look at another example in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Begin in verse 10. And now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Street and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. Who's Saul? He's a persecutor of the church at the time. Because he will be, be, become Paul. <coughs> for, he was killing Christians. Christians just like Ananias. For behold, he is praying. And in the vision he has seen a man named Ananias come and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. I want to come back to this, these verses real, real quick. But, but while Saul is praying, God is giving another man a vision on how to answer his prayer. I love that. You know, we see the kind of the same thing with Cornelius and Peter. While Cornelius is praying, God gives Peter a vision three times. He had to give it Peter three times. You know, Ananias got it the first time through. But anyway, and even Ananias has some issues with it, just like Peter. Uh, but anyway, wow. But, but don't you love that? Sometimes when we're praying, God is giving the answer to someone else to come and answer your prayer. That, that, that is something that's taught in Scripture, okay? And so, while he's praying, and what does he see in the vision? What does Ananias see? He sees, what, what is, no, so what does Saul see in the vision? He sees Ananias, some man that he doesn't know yet, come putting his hand on him that he might be healed. But then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man. <laughs> How much harm harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Lord, this man is killing Christians. This man can kill me. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine and bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, he called him brother. Man, this guy's gracious. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. What was Saul on his way to? Damascus. That's when he got converted. And where was Ananias? In Damascus. Ananias was in the line of fire, you know, to arrest him and possibly put him to death. But when Ananias got there, in obedience to what God told him to do, he laid his hands on him, and he was healed. Verse 18 says, And immediately there fell from the eye, his eyes something like scales, and he received the sight at once, and he rose and was baptized. Folks, 
There is something to lay on the hand on the sick. Again, this is not magical. This is not mystical in any ungodly way. Laying hands on the sick is our faith in obedience to God. In Acts 28, verse 8, And it happened that the father of Publius laid sick of a fever and dysentery. Paul went to him, into him and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. Again, laying our hands on the sick is our faith and obedience to God. Let me just make a mention of something about miracles, and we're going to talk about miracles more as we go forward. The purpose of miracles is to separate us from dead religion. And the purpose of miracles is also to separate us from superstition and fear. I'm going to talk more about superstition in just a few moments. But it's also, the purpose of miracles is to convert them, the world, to the worship of the living God. Those who relegate to the realm of superstition do not believe the entire word of God. And I'll come back to that in just a few moments. Okay? The name of Jesus is not magic. The devil and demons do exist, but all believers in Jesus share in his total victory over them. This is not magical or mystical. The healing, laying on the hands, anointing oil, the name of Jesus. None of these things are magical in any ungodly way. But laying on of hands on the sick is our faith and obedience to God. Okay? Well, let's, let's go to set, uh, point number two. Let's talk about anointing with oil. Okay? The first place that we see this is in James chapter 5. And the most common place I think we see is, is here. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And it goes on to say, the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. We'll come back to some of that. But some people think that's the only place that this is written, mentioned. Well, no. In Mark chapter 6, this is before the cross. And so they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So they being the disciples, they went out. Okay? Anointed with oil was performed before and after the cross. It wasn't a new concept. Now James, where we, we see most of the teaching when it's commonly known, James was the half-brother of Jesus. Now do you think that by chance that James, the half-brother of Jesus, saw something that Jesus did regularly? And so... I don't think James just made this up. I don't think James just got this on his own. Mark records it uh, in Mark chapter 6, what we just read. But James, because that's the most common one, is encouraging, is there anyone among you sick? Is there anyone among us? If anyone's here, let's deal with it. Let's get them healed. And this is how we do it. This is a method of how we do it. I mean, you know, it's hard to anoint someone's oil without actually having your hands involved, too. Okay, that's a slow side point. Okay, but it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Elders, plural. <laughs> okay, I'm going to get to that in just a minute. Is anyone sick? Call, call upon the elders of the church. Why? 
That is an act of faith on your part to obey God. Where do we get the idea of going to the elders? Where do we get the idea of anointing? The word of God. We're not making this up. And so if you put faith in God's word, and he tells you to do something, you're putting faith in God, not man. Not the oil, not the elders. Your faith is in God and doing what God's called you to do. If you're sick, call upon the elders. If you're sick, get anointed with oil. That is a method, it's not the only method. Okay? It didn't say, call for the apostles, because here we died with the apostles. No, it says, call for the elders of the church. The elders were not apostles. Okay? The elders of the church are the mature among us. Paul said that we are all able ministers of the new covenant in 2 Corinthians 3.6. If you are a, a, a believer... You are an able minister of the new covenant. And like I've been saying, we're all on a different level of maturity. But sometimes we need to go to those who are mature. Paul talks a lot about this, even in Timothy and Titus, about elders. And I guess sometimes we are positioned as elders in our local church. I don't think he's just talking about that. Okay? I don't think it's restricted to just that. Okay? But let him call for the elders of the church and let him pray for them. Now, I'm an elder of the church. I'm mature in the Lord. I'm preaching. I'm a pastor. And th everyone thinks sometimes you have to come to the pastor. And I'm not opposed to that. I want to pray for everybody. But can I be honest with you? We have over 14,000 people who worldwide who follow this ministry on a weekly basis. I can't possibly pray for everybody. I can't possibly anoint everyone with oil. Most of you are on the other side of the planet. Okay? And unless I, God translates me like Philip, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be there. Okay? And I, even if we were, I can't physically pray for everybody. That's not how God organized his church. We need to learn how to call the um, um, uh, elders, plural, of the church. And let them pray over you. That doesn't mean I can't pray too. It just means... You don't have to bring everyone to me. Okay? We're not putting faith in me. We're, putting, we're not putting, putting faith in, in them. We're putting faith in him and his word. Okay? But he also says, let God put the elder of the church and let them pray over him. And the prayer of faith will save the sick. Elders who pray the prayer of faith. If you have elders in your church and they're not praying the prayer of faith, go to somebody else. Okay? I'm not putting them down. I'm not trying to disrespect them. But we it's a prayer of faith. It's not the elders. It's a prayer of faith that will save the sick. It's not the prayer of doubt and belief. It's not the prayer of whining and complaining. It's a prayer of faith that will save. And the word save means, and it's, uh, if you study it out in the Greek, it means to heal the sick. The prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed any sins, he will be forgiven. I already dealt with this last part before, but let me touch base on it just for a little bit in case some of you are confused. He's not saying your sins necessarily had anything to do with the sickness that you are now sick with. It may have. I'm not saying it doesn't say it. it. I'm not saying that no sicknesses come from our own sins. You know, there's some sins, if you dab in it, you're going to get sick. 
our disease, okay? But not every sickness is because of our sins, okay? He's saying, don't let sin keep you from receiving the mercy and goodness of God. He's saying, don't let your past keep you from the mercy of God. Your mistakes, okay? But I know I haven't been living for God the way I should be. I know, so let's get healed, okay? But I have a bad background. You don't understand. I know you do. So let's get healed. But I have some bad thoughts. I hope you're not having them now. But I know. So let's get healed. Why is this important? Because when you have a dire need, the devil will bombard you with guilt and condemnation in order to convince you that you are not worthy to, to receive your answer for prayer. No matter what it is. Right now we're talking about healing. The devil will convince you God will not do do it for anyone, will do it for anyone but you. Because of your past, your background, your thoughts, and what's going on. The devil in your own mind will disqualify you from being healed. The devil will put these guilt trips on you to keep you from receiving from God. He's saying, don't let sin keep you from receiving from the mercy and goodness of God. Don't let your past, don't let your mistakes keep you from receiving. But the prayer of faith, agreement with the elders, will save, will heal the sick. And we can see the miracles every time, in other words, we, we can see miracles every time we come together. Because we are going to have elders in our church, we're going to have mature people in our church. If there are no others, I'm going to be believing, okay? I don't, I'm not going to waver when I pray for you because the prayer of faith will save the sick and every time we come together, we can see people get healed. Every time. And even if you don't have to wait till Sunday, we can meet elders of the church all week long. In the early church, they met together daily. Okay? There is nothing we can do that would cause God to withhold any good thing from us. But there are things that we can do to prevent us from receiving uh, from God. Not every sickness is due to personal sin. And we have dealt with this many times in the past. However, if we continue to know individual sin, we can create problems. We have taught that as well. Some of us are not smoking dope. The dope, you're the, you're, you're the dope who's getting smoked. Okay? I got that from somebody. Don't allow your sins and failures to disqualify you from the goodness of God. Everyone's, folks, Everyone Jesus healed has sin in their lives. Do you realize that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Jesus hadn't gone to the cross yet. So everyone Jesus prayed for had sin in their lives. Nobody Jesus healed was born again. He hadn't gone to the cross yet. No one was born again yet. Disciples were not born again yet. Okay? God won't heal lost people. That's a lie. Everyone Jesus healed was lost. Technically speaking. Okay? The oil is not supernatural. Likewise, the elements of communion are not supernatural, as we've talked about in the past. The power of communion is remembering what it stands for. The Lamb who takes away the sins of the world. His body that was broken for us. The blood of His new covenant. Again, I've said this before, but those who rele relegate to the realm of superstition do not believe the entire word of God. 
The name of Jesus is not magic. The communion elements are not magic. The anointing oil is not magic. The oil... Yeah, I want to make sure I get ahead of myself. The oil does not work like a charm. And I know I'm stepping on some feet right now. I'm not saying this to be mean. But let God be true and every man alive. But it's through faith. And I'll, I'll come back to this verse in a minute, a little bit later in Acts chapter 3. It's, a, it's through faith in his name. And the faith which, which comes through him that we heal people. And when we talk about him, the man who was healed at the uh, gate beautiful by Peter and John as they came in to, to worship. Water baptism does not wash away your sins. All these things that we're talking about, all these ordinances and elements are symbolic that helps us to release our faith in Christ. Not the we're not putting our faith in the oil. We're not putting our faith in the elders. We're not putting our faith in the hands. We're not putting our faith in the communion elements. We're not putting our faith in, the, in water baptism. We're putting our faith in Jesus and his finished work. The power is in remembering that what the elements stand for. And I'm talking about right now about the communion. And I can talk about this with every one of these ordinances, methods, or whatnot. Am I making sense? We're not doing witchcraft here. We are believing God. Okay. Let's go to the third one. Prayer of agreement. It's kind of, pray, call upon the elders of the church is kind of a segue. Talk about this third one, prayer of agreement. In Matthew 18, he says, Surely I said to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. And again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything, we just have to come in agreement on anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. But what two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Again, whatever we bind will be down, and whatever we lose will be loose. Folks, there's a dimension of God's presence that we will experience when we are in agreement. Jesus said, but two more gather in my name, I'm in the midst. Is he not already in the midst of us? Yes, he is. But I believe there's a greater dimension of God's presence when we come together in agreement. Okay? Versus praying individually. Can we pray individually and there's no one to pray with? Yes, we can. And God will answer your prayer just the same. But there is a greater dimension when we come together. See, when we agree on something, there is power. If you take this word agree from the Greek, and I didn't put it on the screen in an actual word in Greek, it means to be harmonious. In the English definition, that means symphony. symphony. And symphony, if you were to say that word out, it means to comprise as one. Different gifts, talents, abilities, instruments coming together in harmony. I'm thinking of the movie August Rush, if any of you have seen that. But where the orchestra is, is, is playing a nice symphony. Okay? Creating the sound that none of us can have independent of each other. You know, I love a, a beautiful orchestra where all the instruments come together. And every instrument by themselves 
sounds good by itself, but there's a certain sound they can't make individually until they come in harmony and make a symphony, an agreement. They can't be playing two different songs. They can't be in a different key. They can't be in a different note. They have to be in a harmonious symphony. And when they do, they put together a harmony and it ministers to the hearer. That music is soothing. It can be even healing at times. It ministers to the soul. When God's people are a symphony in prayer and agreement and even just in doctrine, before God, power is released. It felt like I'm changing the subject, but I'm, I'm still piggybacking on this word agree. And when we, we look in the Hebrew, and uh, I'm going to give a couple passages, it's the same connotation, but in a different context. When in the law it says, one witness shall not rise against a man concerning iniquity or any sin that he commits. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, the, the matter shall be established. There's that symphony again. Two or three agree. That, that harmony. Another verse, also in the law of Deuteronomy. How could one chase a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight? There's a, there's a greater power when we have agreement a harmonious symphony. I know these, are, these two passages are different contexts, but there's still that agreement. There's still that harmonious. It's not just one person against another. There is a symphony, and there's greater power when two or, two or three witnesses that every word be established. That one will send a thousand, but two will put ten thousand. There's a multiplication factor involved. If anyone among us is sick, don't surround yourself with those who will judge you, but surround yourself with the elders of the church who will make a symphony before the throne of God. Is that making sense? What's the symphony? He will live and not die, and he will declare the works of the Lord. That's the symphony we will pray. The symphony we will pray and declare and before God, by his stripes, we are healed. See, in your dark hour, you won't be concerned so much about theology. You, in your dark hour, you want to surround yourself with those who know Jesus. In your dark hour, you want to surround yourself with those who will fight the fight of faith because they know Jesus. For the prayer of agreement to work, we have to agree in harmonious sympathy on what we are praying and believing to receive. We have to harmonize. We need to learn how to make a sympathy of worship and thanksgiving to God in agreement for what we are receiving from Him. Because one will send a thousand, but two will send tens of thousands. And it goes on and on from there. Every one of us find ourselves in need of God, in need of a touch from God. But thank God for the church that we can come in agreement with. Thank God for the family of God that we can come to agreement with. Where we can say, will you agree with me to receive what God says is mine by his blood? Let's go to our fourth point this morning, the gifts of the Spirit. Okay. This is something God has made available to us as a church. But there are entire groups within the church that have opted out of this benefit, this method. I don't know about you, but I want to operate in all God has for us. I want to see all 
the gifts operating in our family, the family of God. I want to see everyone benefit from these gifts of the Spirit that God has given to the church. Well, I'm going to quote from, we're going to look at the gifts real quickly here in 1 Corinthians 12. And before we get there, the beginning, Paul starts the chapter by saying, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Do you know how much ignorance there is regarding the Holy Spirit in the church in the world at large? Entire groups are ignorant of the even existence of the nine gifts of the Spirit, much less the manifestation of them. Many of us believe, who believe are ignorant of these gifts and how we should be operating them. Even I have a measure of ignorance in these gifts of flowing in my life consistently. How do I know I have an ignorance? Because they're not flowing in my life consistently. If I really understood this, if I really believed this, then it would be flowing in my life consistently. And I have to be honest with you, they are not at times. But I am seeking God constantly concerning these things, that I may yield to the Spirit of God better in my life. Paul says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brother, I do not want you to be ignorant. He didn't say, I want you to be terrified of them. He didn't say, I want you to be uncomfortable by them. No, he says, I want you to be, don't want you to be ignorant. That's how he starts the chapter. He ends the chapter by saying, but earnestly desire the gifts, and yet I shall show you a more excellent way. And the King James, he says, but covet earnestly the best gifts. Church, we need to learn how to covet the best gifts. And not many people covet the presence of God. Not many people covet the manifestations of the Spirit of God. Not many people covet the supernatural presence of God. You were designed by God to covet. And your design, design, your divine design will covet something. Now when we mention the word covet, most of us go right to the law where we're not supposed to covet anything. Okay? We're not supposed to covet our neighbor's house, our neighbor's wife, or his male servants, or female servants, or anything of that nature. There's, there's coveting that, the wrong things, and there's coveting the right things. Coveting the right things is powerful in our lives. We should covet the best gifts in a positive way, not a negative or, or selfish way. I want to pastor a church that covers the supernatural things of God. Okay? He says, I will show you a more excellent way. What is the most excellent way? Well, first of all, let me just mention, he ends chapter 12 with saying that, and then he spends a whole chapter, 13 verses, on love. Okay? But some people come to the conclusion, therefore many have said, we don't need the gifts anymore. We just need love. That's not what Paul's saying. Paul didn't just spend uh, 31 verses talking about the gifts and then talk about 13 verses about love. He never said it. Why did he say, I want you to covet them? Why did he say, hey, I don't want you to be ignorant of them? And then, no, we don't, we don't, but don't cover them. Don't be ignorant of them, but we don't need them anymore. That makes no sense. Okay? The more excellent way, I believe, is the gifts of the Spirit operate in the love of God. We need the love of God 
the love of God to operate in the gifts in the most excellent way. It's not the gifts without the love. We need the love needs to be the backbone, needs to be the motive, needs to be the energy, it needs to be the source by which we do this. <clears throat> in other words, the more excellent way is the gift of the Spirit operate in the love of God, not in the flesh. <clears throat> Many spirit-filled circles, the gifts of the Spirit were in manifestation, but there was so much flesh, it almost created more harm than good. I've been in some of these circles. The gifts are flowing very fluently. They don't have a gift problem, but they have a big flesh problem. And they're doing more harm than good in many cases. Just because you operate in a gift of the Spirit does not mean you are mature. See, in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, it says, The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each of the prophet of all. It didn't say the manifestation of maturity. It said the manifestation of the Spirit. These are called gifts. You don't have to be mature to have a gift. The challenge is producing maturity in the operation of the gifts. For example, look at, look at the Church of Corinthians itself. All nine gifts were in operation in the church of Corinth. Paul said that very clearly in the very first chapter. They were, yet they were carnal. They had divisions among them. They were, there was strife and envy among them. They were contentions among them. They were even boasting and bragging about horrible sin in the church. Incense. The church of Corinth was very immature. And yet they were operating in all nine gifts. That's why Paul spent time in Corinth to bring some clarity and instruction and guidance of how the gifts of the world operate. These are not manifestations of maturity. These gifts are not manifestations of you. They are manifestations of the Spirit of God. Let's go forward. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 and 6 says, And there are diversities of, of the gifts, but the same Spirit. There are diversities of the ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of the activities, but the same God, who works all in all. We have the Spirit mentioned here, we have Jesus mentioned here, and we have God mentioned here. I know others have taken us into another direction with this, and I'm not opposed to some of that. Uh, I'm not going to go there right now. I just opened a can of worms without explaining myself. But let me just go here. Now, the entire Godhead is involved with the gifts of the Spirit, not just the Holy Spirit. The Godhead, this is how it works, folks. The Godhead, the Father always has a plan. The big picture. The Son, Jesus, always executes the plan. And the Holy Spirit always reveals or manifests the plan. This works for everything. Are you following me? The Father always has a plan. The Son always executes the plan. And the Spirit of God always reveals or manifests the plan that Jesus executed. You can find this in everything. The God has, was involved in the same way with creation. That's how creation happened. The Father had the plan. Jesus create, was the creator. 
executed the plan, and the Holy Spirit revealed and manifested the plan as the Spirit of God covered the earth. That's how the kingdom of God works. It works the same way. God has a plan, Jesus executes a plan, and the Holy Spirit reveals and manifests a plan. Okay? That's how salvation works. Okay? That's how the gifts of the Spirit operate as well. For example, salvation. God planned it, Jesus executed his plan flawlessly to the cross, and the Holy Spirit is now revealing his plan of redemption to his people, to the church. It's the same pattern throughout Scripture. It's the same, pa it's the same pattern with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each for the profit of all. Okay? It's not the manifestation of super saints. Just because you have gifts, if you are a Christian, you have a gift. We all have gifts. And the, the gifts of the Spirit is not to magnify you. It's not to manifest you. It's not, it's not a badge. Look at me. I have this gift. No. It's not a badge. We are not lording it over you. If you have a gift, you are not my Lord. Jesus is my Lord. If I have a gift, I am not your Lord. Jesus is your Lord. Okay? And so, we're not talking about super saints. The manifestation is the manifestation of the Spirit for the profit of all. I like that. It's for the profit of all. Okay, that's what it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. Any gift of the Spirit is not meant for my profit. The gift of the Spirit is meant for your profit, your benefit, for the profit of all. And it's not just you, but also your neighbor as well. Any gift of the Spirit is not meant for my promotion. Any gift of the Spirit is not meant to show me off or to show you off. Any gift of the Spirit is not meant to boast about me and my giftedness. It's a manifestation of the Spirit of God for the profit of all. I'm here to serve you with the gifts and callings of my life. And you are here to serve one another with the gifts and callings on your life. So what is a more excellent way? To operate in the gifts of the Spirit, in the Spirit of love, for the profit of all. Not because they advertise the gift they have. See, the Holy Spirit will never magnify you. The Holy Spirit will always magnify Jesus. Those who are flowing in the Holy Spirit do not need to advertise what gift they have. If you have to tell me that you have a gift, I question you to even have that gift. How do I know you have a gift? Because you are flowing in that gift. Not because you're advertising it. Okay? Those who are flowing in the Holy Spirit just flow in the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. You're just a channel. You're just a vessel. Okay? How do I know you have a gift of giving? You give. How do I know you have a gift of prophecy? You prophesy. 
How do I know you have a discerning spirit? Because you discern spirits. You don't have to advertise it. If you have to advertise it and you're not doing it, you know, something, something's amiss. Something's wrong here. Okay? Now let's look at the gifts. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the discerning of spirits. To another, different kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. But one, one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he will. Folks, God designed his church to operate as a body. We are a family. And as a church body, in love, we serve God and one another. For to one is given the word of wisdom. Not to all. You don't have all nine gifts. I'm not saying you can't flow in them all. And that's a whole other subject right now. But you have to... Nobody is flowing in all nine of these at the same time. Why? We're a body. We're family. If you're boasting that you have all nine gifts going, you're telling me you don't need anybody else. That's the spirit of Antichrist. Because we are the body of Christ. Okay? The nine gifts of the spirit are this. Before I list the, the gifts themselves, there, 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 there's nine gifts, there are three sets of three. Three gifts see something, three gifts say something, and three of the gifts do something. Okay? The three gifts that see something are the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom, and discerning the spirits. The gifts that say something are the gifts of tongues, the interpretation of tongues, and the gift of prophecy. The gifts that do something are the gifts of faith, the working of miracles, and the gifts of healings. I usually find, especially in the five-fold ministry, that someone who, when they flow in one of these gifts, they usually flow maybe in a cluster of the three gifts that either say, see something, say something, or do something. Okay? They might not flow in all three. But I've seen, I see that more commonly. For example, I see more evangelists flow in these latter three that do something. Okay? I see a lot of pastors who flow in, the, in these gifts. And I see a lot of prophets who flow in these gifts. But I'm not just talking about the fivefold ministry. I'm not talking about just about the clergy. Okay. But I usually find that people usually have one or two. Usually it's one or more. But it's not all nine. We need one another. My wife flows very fluently in the interpretation of tongues. Okay. I believe I flow in more fluently in the word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits. I've seen all three of those flow in my life. And my ministry. Okay. So, um, doesn't mean I haven't seen some other gifts flow from time to time. Maybe you have too. But my point is, these are the gifts of the Spirit that are distributed among us, plural. That is why community is so important in the church. That is why family 
is so important in the church. We are the family of God. We are the body of Christ. We are a unit, not just individuals. And that's why we also work things out together versus division. We need one another. You have something I don't have and need of, and I have something you don't have and you have need of. We all need each other. Can I say this? Isolation is extremely dangerous. Isolation is the number one ploy of any predator. And isolation is the number one ploy of the devil. If you are isolating yourself, saying you have nine, all nine gifts or you don't need anyone else, you are in dangerous waters. Okay? Two things are very clear as disciples of Jesus. We need God, first of all. We need God. I was created by divine design to be dependent on God. If I didn't need God, I wouldn't seek Him. But I need God on a daily, hourly, moment-by-moment basis. I'm dependent on Jesus Christ. I'm dependent on His grace. So two things we need. First of all, we need God. But we also need the body of Christ. We need each other. We are dependent on one another. We're supposed to bear with one another's burdens. There's over a hundred scriptures in the New Testament talking about how we are to operate as a body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the members of Christ. Christ has distributed his gifts among us so that we can minister to one another as a family. When you learn, when we learn, because I need to learn this too, I need to be reminded of this too, I have something you need, and you have something I need. We work things out. Versus being in division and being in strife. Let me conclude this topic about coming to agreement. I'm not going to finish... Um, uh, my notes for the whole thing. I'm not going to chew any out of time here. But in John 3.34, it says, For he, Jesus, whom God has sent, speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure, or without measure. I want you to hear me very closely in this last point I'm trying to make, and i got a few slides to get my thought out. Jesus had the full measure of God's Spirit. And power in him. Do you, can, you, can you agree with me on that? He had the full measure. Because it says that he was spared by measure. It means without measure. He had the fullness of God. The fullness of the spirit Jesus had. Okay, When Jesus walked the shores of Galilee, the spirit of God was on the body of Christ. The body of Jesus. His body, his physical body, as a son of man, the Spirit of God was on him without measure. Are you following me? And every born-again believer has received the same fullness of God. John 1.16 says, And all of his fullness we have received in grace for grace. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, For in him dwells the fullness of God, the Godhead bodily, and we are complete in him. 
who is the head of all principality and power. Ephesians 3, 19 and 20 says, To know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power, his fullness that works in us. There's many scriptures here about how we are, have the same fullness of God. In John 14, Jesus said to his own disciples, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, and the words that I speak to you, I do not speak in my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Jesus was speaking of himself. <coughs> but he's also, in context, in John 14, 15, and 16, he's talking about the Holy Spirit that's going to be poured out on all flesh, including disciples. The Holy Spirit enables us to speak his words the same way the Holy Spirit enabled Jesus to speak the words of his Father. No one can speak God's truth on their own. We have been empowered by the Holy Spirit to speak his word and to do his works, I believe. When Jesus walked the seas of Galilee, the Spirit of God was on the body of Christ, the body, the physical body of Jesus, the Son of Man, without measure. After Jesus died, he rose again and became seated at the right hand of God. And he poured out his spirit on his church upon all flesh at Pentecost. Now the body of Christ is not one member, but many members. And when we come together as a church, we make up the body of Christ. And the same way that the Spirit of God was on the body of Jesus without measure. The Spirit of God is still on the body of Christ without measure. But the body of Christ is not one member, but many members. Are you getting that? We are the body of Christ. That's not a cliche. That is the truth. And the Spirit of God is on us. And we need to work things out when we have issues. Two things we need. We need God and we need the body of Christ. Jesus operated in the gifts of the Spirit perfectly. But Jesus was the body of Christ without measure. And we too, collectively, are the body of Christ without measure. Well, I'm running I'm running out of time. I have two more points to go over. I don't want to rush to it. I don't want to cut it short. So I'm going to deal with the last two next week, and then we'll get some new territory. We're going to, one of the things we're going to be talking about next week, too, once we finish with this segment of our teaching, we're going to be looking at Paul's sword in the flesh. And we're going to be looking at also Timothy's stomach issues as well. Um, but spend a lot of time on Paul's sword in the flesh, because that is a passage of Scripture that people have taken out of context to think that God doesn't heal everybody every time. Because, and then they, they take that, and that, that passage of scripture really has nothing to do with Paul being sick with some type of disease or Asian, Asian uh, disease or whatnot. No, uh, we'll talk about that next week. And uh, I opened the can of worms already with that. But we're gonna take, we need to take a look at that because a lot of people have been taught wrong or believed wrong on that. And uh, they, they basically, first of all, they just haven't read their Bible because they have, the context has nothing to do with sickness, the context has to do with persecution. Okay, um, and there's, there's, we'll be looking at that more intently 
and uh, more in-depthly next week. But we're going to finish this by first. Uh, we're going to be looking at faith in God's Word as well as uh, signs and wonders. Uh, two other methods that we have not dealt with so far and ways that we can receive healing. And we're going to look at that more intently uh, next week of uh, these last two and then going to Paul's story in the flesh. Well, like I said, I'm out of time for the day. Uh, you know, there's a lot to cover still in this subject of healing, um, as well as uh, talking about our salvation. we got many more weeks still to come with this, uh, just because of uh, how I'm just drawing this out. But I'm drawing this out on purpose. I don't necessarily have long services like this. See, services like this, but I'm not just going to cut it short. Uh, okay. Uh, we have all the time in the world, and so we will spend time on this, uh, this subject. Because everything we're teaching is the cornerstone of everything we believe. Okay? And so if we, if we can't spend time on this, then we can't spend time on anything. Uh, it's not worth it. Okay? And, I, and for that, I don't apologize for that. So anyway, God bless you guys. Have a great week. We will see you next Sunday. And we'll talk soon. Amen. Right.